We're continuing our summer series that we're calling Lessons Learned. We've been going through a bunch of stuff that I've kind of learned along the way. You know, when I became a Christian, I really didn't have much of a clue. And uh, some people would think I'm still not very far, but I have picked up some things as time has gone on. And that's what we've been talking about this summer. Last week, we talked about living by the Spirit. You know, very important topic. So if you weren't here last time, I encourage you to go back to last week's message and get caught up. And this week, we're going to talk about From Misery to Prosperity. That's the title today, From Misery to Prosperity. What is he talking about? Let's pray. We'll get into new material. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, thank you that you guide us through your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word. You don't leave us here to just try to figure it out and guess. But, Lord, you are a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance today. Lord, that you would show us things through your word that we can grab hold of and apply to our lives to be able to grab hold of more and more of you and live more and more effectively for your kingdom. So, Father, bless our time. Lord, I know each one of us is going through different things. We've got different obstacles in our way. And, Father, I pray that you would give us just what we need, the right revelation, the right heart knowledge, the right freedoms, whatever it is that that you want to do in us, Lord, so that we can follow you better. Lord, I pray you would give it to each one of us individually by your spirit. So Lord, bless us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, from misery to prosperity. So it's been kind of a journey for my wife and I through ministry. You know, she grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church. And then When I got saved, I just was all in and I'm dragging her along. And we affectionately talk about our process as going from the misery gospel into prosperity. You know, we sort of were off track, especially me. And (laughs) I just want to talk about that process, you know, because God is good and serving God is good. But sometimes it seems very difficult, very hard. Uh, and sometimes it is, but we don't need to make it unnecessarily difficult and unnecessarily hard. And so that's what we're talking about today. So uh, I'm going to start way back at the beginning, and uh, hopefully this will all you know show itself and you'll be able to get something good out of it. So when I got saved, uh, it was a real shock. I was just like flabbergasted. I don't even know the right word. I describe it here in my notes as a a violent paradigm shift in my thinking, like everything all of a sudden was different. You know, I went from the universe being a cosmic accident to now there being a creator God who has a plan and a purpose. You know, I went from make the most of this life because, you know, you only live once to, you know, we have to think about eternity. There's heaven and hell. There, There's implications to what we do in this life for everlasting life. You know, it was a huge, huge paradigm shift. And then, you know, Jesus is the way, but most people don't find the way. And, you know, we ought to do something about that. This is a huge paradigm shift. My thinking changed so drastically, but there were some things that I held on to from my upbringing. So my atheist upbringing, you know, I uh, took some lessons from that. Here's a couple things that I learned. I learned other things as well, but here's two lessons that I learned as a kid in my non-Christian environment. The first one was to take personal responsibility. So if you get a D on a test, it's your fault. There was no blaming the teacher. 
There was no excuse. Didn't matter. It's your fault. <laughs> you know, work harder, do better. Next time, don't get a D. You know, next time you're going to get an A because you're going to work hard. You're going to try. You're going to apply yourself. You're going to make it work. So personal responsibility was something I learned in my non-Christian upbringing. Try harder, do better. That was the rule. Then another thing that I learned was if somebody needs some help, you should help them. My parents modeled this and they, they taught it to us. And when I was a kid, one of the jobs I had was if there was a funeral, I would bake cookies and my mom would take the cookies wherever they were having the funeral. So I'm baking cookies. And one week, you know, I don't know, I was a kid, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. I'm not really sure how old I was. And there were three funerals in the same week. And I was baking cookies three times. And my mom laughs about it because I said, man, I sure hope nobody else dies because I am tired of baking cookies because, oh, oh, my poor problems. I have to bake cookies. The thought processes of a, of a child, you know, but, you know, help people out. They're going through hardship, you know, bake them some cookies, whatever it is. You know, it was just modeled. It was taught to me. If somebody needs some help, you know, find a way to help them out. So then when I got saved, I carried these life lessons with me. The idea of taking personal responsibility. And if somebody needs help, you should help them. You know, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I need to do this well. I need to try. I need to get better as time goes on. I need to take personal responsibility for my faith, for my ability to follow Jesus, for learning the ways of God. I'm a follower of Jesus now. I need to do this well. And then, uh, you know, people need help finding Jesus so that they don't go to hell. I mean, uh, there are people that need some help in today's world from a Christian perspective. So I wanted to be able to help. I saw this need and I wanted to be able to help. I read verses of scripture, sections of scripture like 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, and I desperately wanted to live this out. I wanted it to be true in my life. I saw the heart of the apostle Paul to help people to find Jesus. And I thought, I want to be like that. So let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's, he's talking about how we should live our lives and, and what we should emphasize in our life. So here we go. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying there's people that need help. There's church people that need help. You know, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. There's people that don't know God at all, that have no church background. They got no Christian influence in their life at all. That's the ones not having the law. It became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law. So he's not living a heathen life. He's not living a sinful life to relate to sinful people. Instead, what he's doing is he's, understanding their world and engaging them where they're at. So he is being all things to all people so that by all means he might save some. And I think, yeah, that's good. You know, by all means, do everything that you can 
to help people be saved, to know Jesus and to know the forgiveness and redemption of God so that they don't end up in condemnation and in hell. I'm like, that's a disaster. We need people to be saved. And I just thought, wow, I mean, yeah, Paul, that's right. You know, if people are in danger of going to hell, we need to help them. We need to do anything possible by all means, all possible means, you know, like, let's just go, let's do it. I was willing to sacrifice whatever, you know, my financial future, all my time so that I could share this truth and help people understand who God was, that I could share the gospel with people and that they could share in the salvation of God. That's that's what I wanted to do because I saw the need. You know, if somebody needs some help, you ought to help them. And if they need help finding Jesus, somebody's got to help them. If they're in danger of going to hell, somebody's got to help them. So let's go. I was willing to sacrifice. And I believe things like Matthew 10 verses uh, 37 through 39, Jesus is speaking here. Starts off kind of harsh and finishes kind of tough. Uh, here we go. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Who wants to be a good follower of Jesus? Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So it's like, yeah, okay. Doesn't matter what it is in this world. Jesus is number one. Let's go. You know, carry your cross and follow him. Lose your life for the sake of Christ. Yeah, that's right. I'm in. If people are going to hell and we can do something about it, we ought to do something about it. If I can be used by God to do something about it, I'm going to do it. I was fine with giving my life for the sake of eternity and the cause of Christ. You know, like I will give up whatever it is. I don't care. Let's just help people find Jesus. Let's help people grab hold of the truths of God so that they can help other people find Jesus. I don't want anybody going to hell. That sounds like a horrible situation. And if all they need to do is believe in Jesus and start a new life and they're free from that, like, let's just tell them and let's help them out. And oh my goodness, we got to go. And in my, my notes, it says, you know, do the math. It's not complicated. Look, we can give up this life because this life is just a little drip. If we've got everlasting life in the paradise of God and we're going to go through some hardships or go through some difficulties in this life, we've got to stand up for Jesus and face some opposition, you know, face some difficulty. And we're going to have to, you know, like maybe get a job that doesn't pay as much or go into ministry and have financial hardships, whatever, doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, it's all right. I want to be worthy of Christ. I don't want to put other people in front of Christ. I don't want to fail to carry my cross. I, I don't want to hold on to my life and then lose my purpose in Christ. I don't want any of that. I was fine with giving up any creature comforts, anything in this life. Because, I mean, seriously, do the math. It is not complicated. If we give everything for Christ, we get so much more than we could possibly give. It's not complicated. A little more than 21 years ago, I was in my interview to become a pastor with the uh, district officials down in Minneapolis with the Assemblies of God. And, and they asked me if I would be willing to do bivocational ministry. And I had never heard that word before. And it's an interview. So, you know, you're trying to figure it out and say the right thing. And uh, I realized what they meant was bivocational, two jobs. Would you be a pastor and work an outside job? And I was like, hey, 
I don't need money from you so that I don't have to work. I'm not afraid to work. I just want to have the opportunity to minister the gospel to people. I just want to be able to teach people the word of God, try to get Christians going and let's evangelize the world. You know, I don't care. I'll work a job. I'm not asking you to give me a bunch of money. I'm asking you to give me an opportunity to preach the gospel. And they're like, all right, come on in, man, let's go. But that was my mindset. Again, I was pretty aggressive. So I got my credentials, whatever day it was in the week. And then that Sunday, I started as an interim pastor in a Sunday morning church. Six weeks later, we started another church that was about 130 miles away. We did that on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Plus, I'm working a secular job that's about 60 hours a week. So I'm doing Sunday mornings, you know, driving over 60 miles this way to go to that church Sunday morning. I'm driving over 70 miles this way to go to this church Sunday night and Wednesday night. Plus, I got my regular job. And, uh, you know, that's about 60 hours a week. And it was a busy time, but I was thrilled. You know, let's go. All things to all men. By all means, we can save some. I mean, let's go. But then I did get tired because you know, <laughs> it was over 100 hours a week between the churches and my secular job. You know, so I did get tired. So I got a 40 hour a week job. So that was very helpful. Felt like I had retired, man. It was so good. But I did keep that full time job for three years in my early ministry life. So I'm, I'm working full time plus pastoring a church at that point. Then the interim thing was over and I was with the church plant and, uh, you know, doing that. Worked full time for three years and then started to wean off of that. And when you wean off of your outside employment, then the finances go down. And we ended up being in kind of a rough spot financially because I just felt like, you know, I, I could be doing more if I didn't have to go to work. And I think we can make it, but we could barely make it. So it was very difficult financial situation. It got pretty rough. We were really in a rough spot. You know, we're putting groceries on the credit card. I mean, that's the situation. That It was just a difficult spot. We didn't have anything. Uh, it was tough. And that all sounds good and noble, but I needed a course correction. There were some things I wasn't understanding, some things I was going the wrong way with. And that's what I want to talk about, you know, because there are different ways to miss the mark. If we go to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua is taken over from Moses and God speaks to him. And what God is saying to Joshua here in Joshua Chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So it says here, don't turn to the right or to the left. Follow the law that Moses gave you. Follow the ways of God. Don't turn to the left or to the right. You know, there's some amazing stuff in there, but one of them is you can miss it to the left and you can miss it to the right. You got to stay on the path. You know, some people miss it one way. Some people miss it another way. You can go too far this way, too far that way. Some people in their following of Jesus miss the mark because they're lazy. You know, they don't really try. They're not motivated. That really wasn't my problem. <laughs> but I've identified three significant flaws in my thinking. One of the flaws is theological. One of them was practical. And one of them was a character flaw. And so I want to talk about those three flaws as we go through this. And this is our process of going from the misery gospel, you know, from misery to prosperity. Because I believe God is good and 
and uh, he doesn't unnecessarily cause us to go through suffering. So here we go. The theological flaw was this. I assumed that following Jesus meant sacrificing this life for the next. And that's somewhat true, but it's also true that most of the promises of God in the Bible are about making our lives better. This life, the life we live now, you know, from birth to death, most of the promises of God in the scriptures are about making our lives better. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 18, some amazing stuff in Proverbs. And here in chapter 3, it's, it's really something. So listen to this. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resist his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies, Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. What an amazing section of scripture, incredible promises there. You've got long life, you've got honor and riches, peace, prosperity. This is an amazing set of promises. Now, don't miss to the left or to the right. That means that there's responsibilities we need to notice in here too. It's not just beautiful promises and blessings from God, but also responsibilities. Responsibilities like submitting to God's ways, honoring the Lord with your wealth, and embracing the discipline of God. These are responsibilities that we have. But I didn't see the positive things. I just saw the responsibilities. I just saw those two lessons, you know, I want to do this well, try harder, do better. You know, if somebody needs help, you're going to help them. Thinking about helping other people. But here we see that there's all these incredible things that we can receive from God. We can have these beautiful blessings in this life now. These are not promises for our life in heaven. These are promises for our life in this world, that we can walk through that, those good things. And then another one, this one we'll talk about next week from uh, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. This is one that I, I just thought, what? Check this out. Jesus is speaking and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I thought we're supposed to be all things to all people so that by all means we can save some. And so, you know, like I was a all sleep when I'm dead kind of a guy, not a be easy and light. But we'll talk about that next week. 
But the reality is that what we read in Matthew 10 that Jesus said, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, is talking about finding your life in this life too, not just everlasting life, but finding your life, finding your purpose, finding who you're supposed to be, flipping into that good place that God has for you. It's not just eternity. So there was a theological flaw that I thought you had to sacrifice everything in this life for the next. But so many of the promises of God are about receiving good things in this life too. Here's the strategic flaw. The strategic flaw was simply this. You can't get much done without resources. So don't have any money, you're not going to get a lot of stuff done. You don't have any resources, you're not going to get very far. And I just didn't understand that. I thought, well, hey, I, I don't need any money. I don't need any stuff. I'm good. But it's hard to change the world for Jesus when you're putting groceries on the credit card. There's just not a lot of options you have there. Financial resources are needed to get things done. And also financial resources are needed for most people to take you seriously. It's a reality. It'd be neat if it wasn't, but it is. It's just a reality. And we want people to take us seriously. Now, some awesome things have happened here at Good Hope Church, and we're in a strong financial position. But our missions giving at Good Hope Church is more now than our entire budget was 10 years ago. We've seen a lot of resources come in and be able to be used to advance the kingdom of God in Minnesota, in church planting, throughout the world, through missions, all kinds of different ways. If you have these resources, you can get some work done. Again, our missions giving right now is more than our entire annual church budget was 10 years ago. So you get some stuff done when you have resources. And now that I'm a little older, I can see this strategic flaw in another way. And that's if the churches are all poor and we starve out our pastors, then the pastors kind of dry up. I don't know if you've seen some of these people that they just have been in such a Spartan lifestyle for so long that they kind of are starting to wither a little bit. And then when the next generation sees that, it demotivates the next generation of pastors. They're like, ah, I don't want to do that. And then when you lose the next generation of leaders, it sabotages the whole movement. So we need resources so that we can actually make the lives of our pastors, you know, good so that that can motivate the next generation as well as empower them to be able to have some enthusiasm and go into the ministry life strong. You know, there's a huge strategic flaw in thinking we have to give up everything to follow Jesus. You have to be willing. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So flaw number one, theological flaw. I assumed that following Jesus meant sacrificing this life, all the things of this life for the next. Strategic flaw is you can't get much done without any resources. And then there was a character flaw. And here's the character flaw. It was pride in the form of self-reliance. It wasn't exactly a selfish pride, you know, but definitely a pride in the form of self-reliance. You know, I don't need anyone's help. In fact, I don't need anything at all. I'll be fine. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm good. I'm fine. Self-reliance. Of course, this is obviously inconsistent with the biblical idea of the body of Christ. We are all working together. We're all part of the same body. We're interconnected. And uh, so that whole idea, I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anything. I'm fine. It's just not the biblical model at all. But I had an underlying fear, you know, deep in my heart. I didn't even know it was there that was driving this self-reliance. And that was a fear of rejection. 
you know, I don't like rejection. I don't know about you. I'm not good at it. <laughs> and that makes ministry life hard because it's constant rejection all the time is what ministry is, you know. It's just the way it works. But here's the thing. If I don't need other people's help, then I don't need to fear rejection. I can just do stuff on my own. But that's pride that is brought out by the underlying fear of rejection. I didn't want to be dependent on tithes and offerings. You know, I was afraid to give people that power over my life. It makes you feel vulnerable because, you know, church people that withhold their giving or quit the church for some strange reasons. You know, you just don't have control over that. They're going to get funny the way it goes. So I had this fear of rejection. I didn't want to be dependent on tithes and offerings. And that's a character flaw that's pride and self-reliance. Here's the truth. We need to walk by faith and let God be our source. We walk by faith. We let God be our source. Now, in the ministry world, being afraid to depend on God through tithes and offerings for your livelihood, it's a little bit scary. And it's very similar to the dynamic of tithing. You know, you, you want to participate in the kingdom of God, but then taking that step of the 10% tithe giving to ministry, you know, it's like, oh, I, I can take care of myself, but if I do that, I'm not sure how it's going to work. You know, there can be some fear of that. But don't forget, when we were in Proverbs chapter 3, you know, we read verses 9 and 10 and says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's the same thing. Trust the Lord with your wealth. And that's where the abundance comes from. That's where the overflow comes from. Now, I do both. I tithe and I depend on the Lord through other people's giving. And that's how I have my livelihood is through other people's giving. So I tithe and I depend on God. And I'm better off now than I was when I was bivocational. You know, I, I'm, I'm in a better financial place than when I was working full time and ministering with the leftovers. Now I'm in a better financial spot. So that character flaw actually limited my ability to receive blessings from God because I, I didn't want to be dependent. So I took care of myself, but that stopped the ability of God to be my source. Now I've been able to embrace that, you know, get over that pride of, that shows itself in self-reliance. It was a little scary, but I got there. What's the lesson learned? Here's the big lesson. So let's grab it. The lesson is this, living well for Christ is more fun and it gets more done. So the misery gospel, you know, we sacrifice everything. We give everything up for Jesus. Well, you know, we need to be willing to die for Christ, but don't just go out and harm yourself for no reason. We need to be willing to make financial sacrifices, but don't withdraw your savings in cash and then just burn it. Don't make unnecessary, unhelpful sacrifices. I was making unnecessary, unhelpful sacrifices, and it was hamstringing what I was trying to do for Jesus. So living well for Christ is more fun, and it gets more done. All right? It's important, important stuff. And besides, people are attracted to individuals who are having fun and getting something done. If you're living well for Christ, then that's going to inspire people. You know, if you want to become all things to all people so that by all possible means you might save some, here's where you start. Start with being a living example of abundant life in Christ. Be a living example, not of the misery that comes from unnecessary, unhelpful sacrifice. 
but be a living example of receiving the goodness of God, the promises of God, and walking in the ways of God. Be an example of someone who knows how to forgive. Be an example of someone who knows how to love. Be an example of someone who knows how to give and be financially blessed by God. Be someone who lives that out, and then you can inspire others with that, and they'll want to grab hold of that themselves. If you're just miserable and starving and, uh, you know, it's just this Spartan, difficult, harsh life and you start to wither over time because it just is a heavy burden, then it's not going to be something that inspires others and brings others into a stronger uh, relationship with Christ. So here's the lesson. Living well for Christ is more fun and it gets more done. So don't turn to the left or to the right. You know, going from the misery gospel to prosperity, from misery to prosperity. Anytime you use the word prosperity, even though it's in the Bible, uh, it's a topic that Christians seem to get too far one way or the other on. You know, they get mad at the word or they get self-centered with it. And, you know, let's find wisdom. It took me a while to sort this all out in my heart, but one verse really helped, and that was 1 Timothy 6, 6, which says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And when I read that the first time, I thought godliness with contentment is great gain. That means we can have both godliness. We can be walking in the ways of God and be content. We can have godliness and contentment. I want that because I had godliness and panic over the lost. I had godliness and a heavy hearted burden. I didn't have contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to close with Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. You know, prosperity is first and foremost a state of the heart. It's who we are on the inside. So if you've got the right thing in your heart, then if you have stuff, that's cool. If you don't, that's okay too. You know, it it doesn't matter. But godliness with contentment, it starts in the heart. And then we get to a place where we don't sabotage what we're doing and go into unnecessary, unhelpful sacrifices, but we can really live in the blessings of God and be part of what he's doing. So let's, let's read Ephesians three sixteen through 19, and then we'll pray. Here it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to see following you as something that's miserable and hard and a burden But Lord, help us to see the blessings and the goodness and the joys of walking with you in this life. Father, we need to be willing to give our lives for you. We need to be willing to make any sacrifice, of course. But Lord, we don't need to make unnecessary sacrifices and lose resources that we could otherwise use for your kingdom purposes. And Father, we know that the greatest place of prosperity is having your peace and your love in our hearts. So Lord, we open our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, we want you to dwell in our hearts through faith, as it says in Ephesians 3, 17. So Lord, we invite you into our hearts. We invite you to guide us, to to calm our hearts, to guide our thinking, and to help us to walk with you. Father, help us to grab hold of all the good things that you have 
as we diligently serve you and lean in to our calling with you. So, Father, encourage us with this. Bless us, give us strength, and help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.